Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from The Secret Martians, written by Jack Sharkey. From ad agency whiz to master spy of the Red Planet. Jerry Delvin had a most unusual talent. He could detect the flaws in any scheme almost on sight, even where they had eluded the best brains in the ad agency where he worked. So when the chief of world security told him that he had been selected as the answer to the solar system's greatest mystery, Jerry assumed that it was because of his mental agility. But when he got to Mars to find out why 15 boys had vanished from a spaceship in mid-space, he found out that even his quick mind needed time to pierce the maze of -of out-of-this-world double-dealing. For Jerry had become a walking bomb, and when he set himself off, It would be the end of the whole puzzle of the secret Martians, with Jerry as the first to go. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from The Secret Martians. Chapter 1 I was sitting at my desk, trying to decide how to tell the women of America that they were certain to be lovely in a Plastiflex brassiere, without absolutely guaranteeing them anything, when the two security men came to get me. I didn't quite believe it at first, when I looked up and saw them, six feet plus of steel nerves and gimlet eyes, staring down at me amidst my litter of sketches, crumpled copy sheets, and deadline memos. It was only a fraction of an instant between the time I saw them and the time they spoke to me, but in that minuscule interval I managed to retrace quite a bit of my lifetime up till that moment, seeking vainly for some reason why they'd be standing there, so terribly and inflexibly efficient looking. Mostly, I ran back over all the ads I'd created and or okayed for Solar Sales Inc. during my five years with the firm, trying to see just where I'd gone and shaken the security of the government. I couldn't find anything really incriminating, unless maybe it was that hair dye that unexpectedly turned bright green after six weeks in the hair, but that was the lab's fault, not mine. So I managed a weak smile toward the duo, and tried not to sweat too profusely. Jerry Dilvin, said the one on my left a note of no-funny-business in his brusque baritone. "'Yes,' I said, some terrified portion of my mind waiting masochistically for them to draw their collapsers and reduce me to a heap of hot protons. "'Come with us,' said his companion. I stared at him, then glanced hopelessly at the jumble of things on my desk. "'Never mind that stuff,' he added. I rose from my place, slipped my jacket from its hook, and started across the office toward the door." each of them falling into rigid step beside me. Marge, my secretary, stood wide-eyed as we passed through her office, heading for the hall exit. Mr. Delvin, she said, her voice a wispy croak. When will you be back? The Plastiflex man is waiting for your... I opened my mouth, but one of the security men cut in. You will be informed, he said to Marge. She was staring after me, open-mouthed, as the door slid neatly shut behind us. Will I be back? I asked desperately, as we waited for the elevator. At all? Am I under arrest? What's up, anyhow? You will be informed, said the man again. I had to let it go at that. Security men were not hired for their loquaciousness. They had a car waiting at the curb downstairs, in the no-parking zone. The cop on the beat very politely opened the door for them when we got there. Those red and bronze uniforms carry an awful lot of weight not to mention the golden bulk of their bolstered collapsers. There was nothing for me to do but sweat it out and try to enjoy the ride, wherever we were going. 
You are Jerry Delvin? The man who spoke seemed more than surprised. He seemed stunned. His voice held an incredulous squeak, a squeak which would have amazed his subordinates. It certainly amazed me. Because the speaker was Philip Baxter, chief of interplanetary security, second only to the world president in power, and not even that in matters of security. I managed to nod. He shook his white-maned head slowly. I don't believe it. But I am, sir, I insisted doggedly. Baxter pressed the heels of his hands against his eyes for a moment, then sighed, grinned wryly, and waggled an index finger at an empty plastic contour chair. I guess maybe you are at that, son. Sit down, sit down. I folded gingerly at knees and hips and slid back into the chair, pressing my perspiring palms against the sides of my pants to get rid of their uncomfortably slippery feel. Thank you, sir. There was a silence, during which I breathed uneasily, and a bit too loudly. Baxter seemed to be trying to say something. I suppose you're wondering why I've called, he started, then stopped short and flushed with embarrassment. I felt a sympathetic hot wave flooding my own features. A copy chief in an advertising company almost always reacts to an obvious cliché. Then, with something like a look of relief on his blunt face, he snatched up a brochure from his kidney-shaped desktop, and his eyes raced over the lettering on its face. Jerry Delvin, he read musingly and dispassionately. Five foot eleven inches tall, brown hair, slate gray eyes. Honest, sober, civic-minded, slightly antisocial. He looked at me questioningly. I'd rather not discuss that, sir, if you don't mind. Do you mind if I do mind? Oh, oh. Well, if you put it like that, it's girls, sir. They block my mind, ruin my work. I don't get you. Well, in my job, see, I've got this gift. I'm a spotter. A what? A spotter. I can't be fooled by advertising, or mostly anything else, except girls. I'm still not sure that I... It's like this. I designate ratios, by the minute. They hand me a new ad, and I read it by a stopwatch. Then, as soon as I spot the clinker, they stop the watch. If I get it in five seconds, it passes. But if I spot it in less, they throw it out and start over again. Or is that clear? No, I guess you're still confused, sir. Just a bit, Baxter said. I took a deep breath and tried again. Maybe an example would be better. Uh, you know the one about three out of five New York lawyers use Hamilton Bond paper for note-taking? I've heard that, yes. Well, the clinker, that's the sneaky part of the ad, sir, or what we call weasel wording. The clinker in that one is that while it seems to imply 60% of New York lawyers, it actually means precisely what it says, 3 out of 5. For that particular product, we had to question 79 lawyers before we could come up with three who liked Hamilton Bond, see? Then we took the names of the three and the names of two of the 76 men remaining and kept them on file. On file? Baxter frowned. What for? In case the Federal Trade Council got on our necks, we could prove that three out of five lawyers used the product. Three out of those five. See? Ah, said Baxter, grinning. I begin to. And your job is to test these ads before they reach the public. What fools you for five seconds will fool the average consumer indefinitely. I sat back, feeling much better. That's right, sir. Then Baxter frowned again. But what's this about girls? They... They block my thinking, sir. That's all. Why, take that example I just mentioned. In plain writing, I caught the clinker in one-tenth of a second. 
They handed me a layout with a picture of a lawyer dictating notes to his secretary on it. Her legs were crossed. Nice legs. Gorgeous legs. How long that time, Delvin? Indefinite. Till they took the girl away, sir. Baxter cleared his throat loudly. I understand at last. Hence your slight antisocial rating. You avoid women in order to keep your job. Yes, sir. Even my secretary, Marge, whom I'd never in a million years think of looking at twice, except for business reasons, of course, has to stay out of my office when I'm working, or I can't function. You have my sympathy, son, Baxter said, not unkindly. Thank you, sir. It hasn't been easy. No, I don't imagine it has. Baxter was staring into some far-off distance. Then he remembered himself and blinked back to the present. Delvin, he said sharply, I'll come right to the point. This thing is... You have been chosen for an extremely important mission. I couldn't have been more surprised if announced my incipient maternity, but I was able to ask, Me? For Pete's sake, why, sir? Baxter looked at me square in the eye. Damned if I know. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from The Secret Martians. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.